There we go. Test, test, one, two, test, one, two. I'm going to sit back. Okay. Record, record. A minute. Minute to win it. We all good? Yep. I think we are. Oh. <clears throat> all right. Oh. What's up, my uh, Freemasons? What's up, my New World Order Illuminati uh, youngins? Um, welcome to Time is a Flat Circle, a look at how humans keep getting it wrong. I'm your host, Joseph, and I'm here with the cane to my able, uh, Adrian. What's up, folks? Uh, I am still recording from my attic because this is still the only place that I'm allowed to talk to you losers. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to... Uh, the Gaisto with certifiably the hottest sister in the group. <laughs> What's up, guys? This is Jaime the Elder. Uh, unlike Adrian, I've got the place all to myself here, so I'm kicking back and looking forward to another Time as a Flat Circle podcast. So we're just not going to introduce oh, Throwing it else? over to Hondo. <laughs> <laughs> throwing it over to Hondo. Shit, I just spilled beer. What's up, Canadians? Um, unlike Jaime, I do not have an incredibly hot sister, um, but either way, still really happy to be here. I'll go ahead and pass it over uh, to my buddy Andre. Let him finish things off for the intro. Saving the uh, best for last, I see. Um, other than Jaime's hot sister, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we had an interesting discussion this last conversation that we had uh about what the next topic was going to be uh we kind of forced this one a little bit and uh i think it's going to show but it still will be fun uh this topic came from the uh, thought progression of Jaime's inner workings about artificial intelligence and the only way that we can really talk about this is in the context of pop culture so let's talk about it let's talk about a couple movies that Hopefully y'all watched. I didn't because uh, I'm a bad host, but uh, maybe it'll make for some fun discussion. Uh, so let's get into it. We watched uh, or y'all watched uh, a couple of movies. One, obviously, one of my favorite ones. I have seen this, but not in the past about eight years. Ghost in the Shell. One of my faves um, right up there with uh, just kind of any uh, historically uh, significant anime um, that kind of I fell into right when I was in those formative teenage years. So it means a lot to me. But this other movie, never bit, not really sure why it's in the same kind of description as Ghost in the Show, but Tao, which is, I think, a Netflix original. Correct. Am I right in saying that? Okay. Yes, sir. So uh, we're going to be talking about how these kind of ideas of artificial intelligence manifested. We'll talk about how they affected us uh, or affected y'all as human beings, what you think of artificial intelligence and uh, what we're really uh, looking ahead to in the future with artificial intelligence kind of uh, just making its way into uh, not just tech world, but the public uh, and plebeian vernacular. <laughs> People are talking about AI when they're talking about anything. So uh, say goodbye to your jobs. Um, all right, so let's get into it. Uh, I want to start with Tao because I, I still have not seen this movie and I did read the plot synopsis. Uh, there's only one thing I really want to say about it just from reading the plot synopsis, but I will save that description for after you guys kind of let me in on what you 
even is this? Because this is the it was a wild read uh, on Wikipedia. <laughs> Who, uh, Hondo, you suggested this uh, last last podcast? Uh, yeah, we had had some conversations about artificial intelligence, and and I had put Tao on my Netflix list of movies to watch um, because based on the premise, it looked like it had a lot of inner workings into regards to understanding how artificial intelligence incorporates with um, our, our story very wrong. <laughs> uh, yep. Tao was a garbage movie, a waste of my time. Um, I believe it was equated to a Disney movie called, what was it called? Babe? Smart House, Smart House um, which after reading the synopsis on of Smart House on Wikipedia, that is 100% correct. And I would like to apologize to both uh, my fellow podcast mates for having to discuss this, as well as our viewers for having to uh, listen to us talk about this. <laughs> and Hondo, I'm hold glad on, you... Hold on, hold on. Wait, just one second. I, then I just glanced at this on the page I'm looking at. Was Gary Oldman in this movie? <laughs> yeah. 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 He was he Tao. He was Hal. He was, he was Tao. He's Hal. Okay. He's All Tao. right. Well, at least he's the title character, the titular character. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Go on. Jaime, you were saying... Uh, yeah, Hondo, thank you for prefacing, because that was going to be my first question is, first of all, who suggested this film? Uh, I guess the plot synopsis was that a woman was abducted for a science experiment, meets sinister entrepreneur, befriends the artificial digital personality uh, receiving command receiving module, who then she proceeds to care for and educate on the outside world. Uh, all of the dialogue tended towards exposition. Uh, it was more fantasy of the uh, lordship and bondage nature than it was science fiction. Um, that uh, yeah, such a bad movie. <laughs> moments of sheer boredom followed by, by intense moments of exposition where you had to stop everything what you were doing and pay attention because all the action was in what the characters were saying. Uh, I think Joseph... Uh, I'd like to speak for the podcast and state that uh, we've actually spared you from having to watch this film because we did um, for you. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Guys. You can go ahead and write it off your list. Take it off your list. Just go ahead and bust out that uh, turn around your pencil. Get the eraser out and scratch it off because you do not need to see this. <laughs> OK, as I'm doing just kind of like last minute. Uh, just grasping for straws research here. Uh, I need to read you guys this tagline to this goddamn movie. Um, Kidnapped by an inventor who uses her as a test subject to perfect his robotic AI, a street smart young woman tries to escape her high tech prison. That's it. Uh, Yeah, that's essentially the the plot. I mean, yeah, uh, that's that's like six plots in one sentence. Well, see, here's the thing. Street smart has almost absolutely nothing to do with it because you get literally one okay. scene before she gets abducted and it could have literally been any girl in the world. 
like the backstory had street smart. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's not even street smart. It's more like klepto. Like they make it a point to show you she's good at clepping things from people, which comes in handy later on in the movie, guys. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I mean, that's pretty street smart. It, it was just what, gun. What, what I think of as street smart is a little street? little street urchin. <laughs> she was kind of she was kind of that role for like five minutes in the movie though. Like so, so they have it right. She was a, 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 a little bit of Aladdin. She was like a little bit of Aladdin. <laughs> she, yeah, she was. But if he were her, like in the future and not Arabian. Okay, so, okay, so it every, sounds like it sounds crapping. like I was kind of <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, just my only thing after reading the the plot synopsis on Wikipedia. Uh, all I could think of was this sounds like a really, really bad um, high idea. Like some people just got just baked as hell and watched a double feature of Ex Machina and Human Centipede and just fucking ran with it. Or Mystery so Science Theater 3. That's what it reads like. Yeah. So I, I guess I would like to preface uh, my logic behind my recommendation on this and then I guess without turning this into a movie review podcast, I would say the whole purpose of it was based on our last conversations we had last week in regards to artificial intelligence. We had talked about kind of how that's integrated with our day to day society. And then based on my initial preview of what Tao looked like, I thought it was going to be an awesome flip on a Turing test uh, because from the way that the preview showed it, it was going to be a woman trapped by an artificial AI security system and her finding a way to convince the AI that it's human in a context that would allow her to break free from her in case in her case cell yeah from her chains. from her chain yeah from her <laughs> chains <laughs> um which so is- i do need to jump in because i disagree with all of you i think the movie itself was very entertaining the last 10 minutes were terrible well and i was gonna say like in terms of like you guys crapping on the movie i thought the cinematography and like the art direction were actually pretty on point like there there was not an ugly scene to to be had in, in any of the movies. Well, of course not. It's got Ed Screen in it. When is there ever an ugly scene with him in there? He's I a mean, beautiful it man. looks dope. Like I could see how. Yes. <laughs> Wait, was that the that was the poor poor man James Marsden? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> That's what he looks like. He looks like a poor man Cyclops. <laughs> He's like evil Cyclops. Okay. I could definitely see how Hondo got that impression from, I guess, what did you, did you see like a trailer or did you see just yeah. kind of a, it didn't yeah. just show up on your Netflix uh, uh, feed? That is exactly what happened to do. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, Hey, we think you're going to like this one. I saw the 30 second preview that's on there before you move on to the next one. And so that's when I was like, Oh, Hey, she's got to try to escape an artificial AI, like or an AI, not an artificial AI. So yeah, it's, Felt like it fit the concept of what we were talking about, and turns out I was completely wrong. Well, <laughs> or at least I feel like I was completely well, wrong. And I will say, like Ghost in the Shell, it doesn't really touch on AI too much either. I, I think we kind of missed the mark in terms of AI, but it, both of these movies in the double feature do talk about or have messages about how humans relate to or have relationships with technology. Like that's kind of like the. Well, okay, I think the the. I, I have a bit of a disagreement with that idea, just kind of uh, encapsula- encapsulated that way. I think 
the movies themselves, like any any movie that kind of has has to deal with this uh, subject, it's not really how we have a relationship with AI. It's more how we envision ourselves having a relationship with AI. It's well, like how we think we would deal with AI when well, in reality, it just kind of seamlessly has integrated it into a lot of stuff that we have been doing. Well, no, there's no such thing as AI. There's machine learning, but literally oh, yeah. there's yeah. like nothing in this world is yeah, no, I, I get, I get that, I get that, but I, I feel like when we get to that point, it's just going to be like, not a big deal. Well, yeah, it's in- incremental. Like everything's been incremental up to to now. We're frogs in we're frogs in a, a boiling pot of water. What what is it? A uh, uh, equilibrium uh, theory in terms of evolution that you just go along a straight line, status quo maintaining, and then boom, spike, and all of a sudden we're at a new plane. Um, something like, for example, the 2016 election might be uh, classified as something like that. Also getting to what Adrian just said, and that's what I want to make clear is that uh, I, I haven't had any experience with AI and I wasn't planning on talking about artificial intelligence because I certainly haven't had any experience, but more like, uh, as Adrian said, machine learning, process automation, uh, what we can automate about our jobs and kind of what I'm concerned with. And uh, uh, the fact that uh, Andrew Yang, the Democratic a presidential candidate is running a platform on universal basic income because he's saying that robots are going to come for your jobs. So everyone's going to be out of a job. So I think we should have universal basic income. Um, so basically just process automation, automation, taking over process the humans once completed. Um, and I certainly have some examples from work. I, I, I don't know if Hondo's experienced that in his workplace as well. Um, so uh, yeah, cause AI, AI in that context kind of just becomes fantasy as we haven't experienced that yet. <clears throat> Can I just really quickly, you said the 2016 election was the jump in evolution that we were looking for? Oh, it's like a, a new no- normal. New right? normal. Like, yeah. Like, new normal. Yeah. I didn't say we were looking for anything. I said in terms of uh, equilibrium, equilibrium theory in terms of evolution is that you're maintaining status quo and then you just spike and all of a sudden you're at a new plane. When, and you do the same thing, you spike again and you do the same thing. And when Hymas says spike, it's more like, and then there's a mutation that changes the game. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily yeah, mean going out. That's a better yeah. explanation of it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's round robin the uh, actual good film uh, in this duo, uh, Ghost in the Shell. What 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 were your thoughts going into it? If you hadn't seen it before, what was your expectation? If you had, what was different about your viewing this time? Uh, I know this is a movie that kind of. Uh, Kind of took me by surprise when I first saw it, but definitely stuck with me. Um, almost makes me think of it the same way uh, Bebop is definitely just kind of like a Western uh, that's disguised as a sci-fi. This always struck me as like a detective noir drama that's disguised as sci-fi. Like it's not really a sci-fi. Well, can, can I add that Tao is kind of like a, a rom-com? Disguised as a sci-fi. Yep. <laughs> disguised as disguised as That's a good movie new, in the trailer. It's more like a dramedy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rom-com disguised as a sci-fi. Please watch. <laughs> no, but what? Yeah, let's let's go around. Well, uh, I want to go to Hondo last. So whoever wants to start before. Oh uh, well, I'll, I'll just throw in the fact that like in watching this and I, I gotta admit, I watched it on my, my cell phone. Uh, but 
like the visuals are amazing. Like to know, to know that this was made decades ago, most of it's just hand-drawn cell animation, the same way like Disney movies were made in the past. Uh, it really stands up and is not really aged. Well, it, it's aged really well. That's what I should say. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it, it makes you kind of long for that style of animation to come back. Like oh, when you for sure. see legit art like that. Yeah, yeah. no, I, yeah. I get that. And from a story, so, yeah, from a story standpoint, I feel like it also still resonates. Like there's uh, all kinds of questions of like to, to Jaime's point, like when so many different parts of who you are, what you do are being automated. I mean, even think of things that we automate ourselves in our personal lives through like our, our cell phones. Like at what point do you start to lose some of your, uh, um, identity personality yourself yeah yeah the, uh, your authority over your own decision making I, I guess not free will i but mean something yeah. like that i mean i i i know that uh something that just kind of popped into my head when you said that is you were talking about how uh google google auto respond kind of just completely uh checked you out of certain conversations and emails <laughs> yeah yeah a recruiter was asking me for an update and i started the sentence with thanks and uh, seven clicks in i had a paragraph that sounded better than i ever would have been able to write myself hit send all right um i want to go to andre's take on ghost in the show next before i'm in the condos so expectations were obviously very high for this one. Um, it's such a, I guess, a nerd icon. You know, I've heard about it my whole life and never got around to watching it, um, especially after the ScarJo one came out because I didn't want to just like watch the bad one first. And this one <laughs> is going to upset everybody, but it's basically the same as Taoist to me. Like I enjoy the movie, the ending. I was just like, what the hell is going on? I don't care about this at all. And I, I left feeling very unsatisfied. Andre, does that happen for you with every film? No, dude, I love, that's the thing. I love most movies. Like, I love really terrible movies, too. And this one, I guess, no, I, because okay. the, bar, the bar was set so high, I was like, oh, that was all right. Well, okay, something that I could ask is, do you like detective dramas? Yeah. Oh, then, yeah, that's that's surprising. That's interesting, then. I, I want to hear more about this, but let's go to, let's go to High Mistake first. Uh, yeah, and Joseph, that's that's an interesting point uh, that you brought up is that it was a crime noir, detective noir. Uh, from what I could I could gather from the film uh, after watching it, I, I think probably for the first time since I don't know the beginning of high school or at least middle school or something. I think it came out in ninety six, ninety seven, or something like that. Uh, wow, ninety five. Um, is that the two uh, major and uh, Bateau or, or uh, Bateau are essentially like social workers. They're essentially out there like finding out these uh, these bots that have shorted out of their memory got wiped and and they're trying to, I don't know, help them back to uh, help them back to life. And it's kind of just them going through. They, they both, you know, they got the partner, you've got the you've got the protagonist and you've got the partner, uh, both equally as mysterious. Uh, one of them kind of has ulterior motives to find something out which are never quite revealed uh, you know so so looking back at the film in that context as a detective crime noir i mean just it, it elevates it uh the story uh for me and and puts it and frames it in a whole new life 
um, as far as the, the film itself, uh, yeah, just the, the dialogue. One, one thing I, I found myself curious about was that when a director or a screenwriter writes dialogue like that um, with quotes like, and actually this goes back to Adrian's point, your effort remains, your effort to remain yourself is what limits you. Uh, life perpetuates itself through diversity, and this includes the ability to sacrifice itself when necessary. That as a screenwriter, when you write something like that, do you, did it just overcome you? Like, did it overtake you to, to, to uh, use the character as a conduit for what it is that you were thinking? Or were you just in the character itself and you needed to crank out a film and you wrote it and you don't ever have those thoughts again? Uh, I, I, have a, I have a theory when it comes to stuff like that. that uh, more often than not, like in the narrative, uh, the words that a screenwriter will put into the, the villain's mouth is uh, oftentimes like the harsh truths that the screenwriter just feels like shouldn't be in in the real world so he makes the bad guy out to be whatever but at the end of the day a lot of times the the villain's the one that's speaking most uh honestly to what what we are experiencing in the real world whatever fantasy land that they're they're in all right sure. i want to come back I want to come back to this point because I, I think I have something that's uh, like poignant enough to talk about. But um, let's go to Honda first for the take. And then I, I want to bring it right back to what you were just talking about, Adrian. Yeah. And uh, Joseph, kind of to Adrian's point, there, I think I can bring it back around because uh, there's another point that I make that kind of coincides with what he's saying. Um, yeah. Ghost in the Shell wise, I just I think it's an amazing story. I think one of the things that it highlights is it comes in a time when, like, I guess you can say like a mature or adult themed aspects weren't necessarily super prevalent, um, at least in Western culture. Um, I think it does a good job of bringing up concepts that are sometimes difficult to comprehend. And it does a good job of presenting it in a story that's both entertaining as well as um, stimulating. Um, uh, one of the craziest things that I've always seen uh, that catches my attention when I've seen this, because I've seen this movie three times, is I find it, I've always found it interesting how the characters, especially Kusanagi and uh, Major Kusanagi and Puppet Master, um, they're the two most artificial life forms in this movie. But I felt like the most detail was given to their eyes when they look at you and when they're when they're in certain scenes. And I felt like that almost spoke to you more than any other character ever did. Um, so I thought it did a real good job with cinematography, storytelling, and it didn't did it in subtle ways that weren't necessarily dictated just through uh, just through what you heard. Because I don't know if anybody here watched the subtitled or the dubbed version, um, but if you watch the English version, like it's pretty, the lines are pretty flat. Um, so I feel like you have to look through, you have to look to other aspects to gain the emotion of what the characters are doing. And I felt like a real good way that they did that was through their eyes. Um, yeah, it was just a really great story. And I think kind of to Adrian's point where he's saying, sometimes the villain ends up being that messenger uh, giving you things that you don't want to hear. Um, Puppet Master was saying, he's like, hey, y'all don't consider me human, but based on your definitions of human hum and humanity, like I consider myself my own living being and I have a right to live and procreate and envelop myself in this world. Um, obviously, I think people are kind of hesitant to hear that, but I mean, kind of to, again, to Adrian's point, that's the message that people don't want to hear. It's perceived as the villain, but it's also a truth in a context that people just aren't comfortable listening to. All right. So walking all the way back to that, that point that Adrian made about what you were just talking about. Um, this is kind of interesting. So the ties and the, uh, I guess just 
uh, synchronous ideas uh, from this film and then going back to Blade Runner, which was made in 1982, uh, a few years before the manga of Ghost in the Shell was created, um, kind of touches on the movie itself, touches on that specific thing with the, the sea beam speech. Uh, all those moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain, time to die. Like that whole idea of um, that quote coming from the villain of the story having such a uh, human, uh, I guess, finality to uh, what his life was, even though he wasn't ever really alive. Like the replicants well, but in, in places. In Blade Runner, that's what they wanted. Like they wanted to live. I guess my my point is just that the villain is like like what Adrian is saying. The villain is the person that has the most insight into uh, the human aspect, whether it's to become human, want to become human, doesn't care about becoming human, or being subject to humans, cruelty, in, injustice, whatever the case is. It, 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 there's there's uh, definitely a, a through line of uh, our robots being artificially intelligent, capable of being more human than humanity is when it comes to what will you do? What are you willing to do uh, to survive? Sorry, didn't mean to bring that to to a halt. <laughs> uh, okay, let's. Uh, so, getting back into like what uh, technology and automation kind of looks like today. What I saw in Ghost of the Shell. Uh, so this was actually kind of eerie, uh, but really just is par for the course these days. So when they're going through uh, tracking, uh, uh, I think they're looking for the puppet master. I mean, they're. They're, lo they're logging in. They're able to track based on uh, the, the trash garbage route because the guy hijacked the truck. So they're able to log into all these things, which is essentially Google Maps uh, or Waze, uh, which is the, the crowdsourced uh, uh, directions application uh, available on your smartphones. Uh, I think we all know what Waze Okay. Uh, I think we all know what Waze is. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> usually we would be explaining that to you, Jaime. Oh, well, now that I've learned, I'm now able to educate our users, Andre. Thank, thanks for mansplaining to us. <laughs> wow. Anyways, um, also the way that uh, Major and Bateo uh, are able to uh, communicate with each other without opening their mouths, because there's times where they're where they're working with the team. And they have to state something and they do. And then, but then the, when they kind of communicate internally, I mean, you can sit next to someone um, and, and text them and have all these kind of inside uh, jokes, which is what Andre and I were doing at, at his house uh, a couple weekends ago. It's like it's it's something similar. So 20, 20, how far long ago was 1995, <laughs> 24 years ago, uh, 24 years ago. Now it's here. Did we see it coming? Was Ghost in the Shell a premonition? Um, I don't know, but I was seeing a lot of similarities like that. I think uh, your point of automation, uh, are we getting to a level of automation that's going to make things kind of just irrelevant in terms of 
the social contracts that we have with each other? Are things going to get so automated that like we don't really have to worry about arguments or he said, she said, or stuff like that if your whole life is being recorded? I mean, so Adrian, I kind of want your perspective on this because I, I feel like you have uh, definitely some unique insight in terms of this this group. Um, how do you feel about the... Uh, I guess ubiquitous recording apparatus that is the world that your son has kind of entered into uh, where literally if you wanted to, his whole life could be recorded. I mean, I would say that for every, I guess, jump in technology that, we we as humanity have ever experienced there's always been the the folks that are crying wolf or just not even crying wolf i think that there's always legitimate concerns with every change in how we're interacting with technology um i'm sure the same conversations were happening uh when people started using axes instead of whatever they used before axes in the stone age right like (laughs) so uh, to me, I, I do feel like, yeah, it's a scary thought, but I, I do think uh, one of the things that humanity seems to have uh, up on nature is the fact that, that we are uh, supremely adaptable to whatever environment you, you put us into. So if the, the new environment is going to be something where uh, everything is always under surveillance, uh, I think there's going to be new and interesting ways that humans learn to interact with each other. Uh, under those new new set of rules, right? So it's going to be uh, something that, like everything else that has come before, is just going to be uh, us adding another layer to the pyramid of unforeseen consequences to the things that we've created. And then we'll, we'll just kind of see where it takes us. Uh, I have no fear that the generation that comes after us will not be able to continue the path that we've been on for now millennia it it seems weird and almost narcissistic to think that uh we're we're standing on the precipice of some great downfall and the people that come after us aren't going to be smart enough to to figure it out i like that so what's what's uh, what's your idea of the next step i mean are we gonna are we gonna be building Faraday cages in our houses uh, to to kind of keep the technology out, or are we gonna fucking shoot off into Mars and uh, live in a place where that's not an issue? Um, I think we're gonna see we're gonna see the limits of what uh, a human level general AI um, really means, um, and I think one of the things that we're gonna see is that the we'll figure out technically how it's done. But we'll also realize that in terms of the the utter energy efficiency that we run with in terms of like there's literally however many billion walking, talking supercomputers running around this earth in terms of humans. Uh, I, I think we're going to realize that the uh, economies of efficiency just aren't there. And it's going to be something where like only the Googles and Amazons of the world can really run that level of AI that's a above human intelligence and we're just going to all have like a jarvis in our pocket it's just going to be hey google hey siri 
Hey, Alexa. As I say that. Very funny. <laughs> I mean, not funny. Ha ha. Quick question for the pod. Uh, do you guys not have Faraday cages in your homes? <laughs> I mean, after this conversation, I, I, I might have. Yeah, I only have one, and uh, uh, I I only use it for when I'm I'm watching the really really uh, shameful porn <laughs> that I downloaded onto my computer. <laughs> Andre, can you explain to me what a Faraday cage is, please? It's like a really no, big tinfoil really. hat, Jaime. <laughs> oh, <laughs> literally. Have you ever seen the movie uh, with the guy whose name I don't remember? Where they're like in Russia. And there's these aliens that are killing everybody through like electricity. No, nope. yeah, that's, that's there's, pretty a, much there's it. a Faraday cage in that. Yeah. All right. So if uh, that's kind of, I guess, a, a, a recent and bad take on, or not maybe, maybe not bad take, a recent and critically uh, hard to watch take of, science fiction versions of AI and of uh, older but very easy to watch take of science fiction and AI um, kind of juxtaposed together. What can you gather from both of those instances that kind of ties them together? Like how, how can you tell that both of them are talking about the same thing or can you? I think they are. I think they're, they're both essays on our relationship with technology and uh, what it means to be human and what humanity, how you define humanity. I think at the end of Tao, like, uh, I mean, while he wasn't very, uh, he, while he wasn't an easy character to empathize with, like Tao essentially is I mean, a human for all intents and purposes. You guys might disagree. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that, Adrian. And I kind of want to carry that and say, I think both of them have lessons showing that artificial intelligence isn't the final step. Like it's not the final frontier because you have a puppet master that's trying to initiate a sense of reproduction and carrying on to become alive. And you have Tao, the AI that has a curiosity to explore and learn more than more than what it's programmed to do. Um, and so it's, it's not necessarily just becoming an AI, but it's inheriting those human characteristics of taking what you are and trying to become something more. Well, and then on the flip side of that, I think uh, Ghost in the Shell does a really good job of taking the, the human side of things. And once we have all this technology, how do we uh, become more than human, right? Like there's all these like people walking around with augmented literally everything, right? Like it's, it's yeah. interesting that you bring that up. Yeah, that's a good point. I know. I think what we both saw uh, from Tao and from Major and the Puppet Master in Ghost in the Shell uh, is that there's this even even within the machine automated machine learning, there's still this longing. Uh, uh, longing is a stretch to describe that AI would be longing for anything, uh, but there's this curiosity, as you called it, uh, to return to our origins and and to to try and recreate that. The Puppet Master wanted to ultimately ultimately be uh, human. Um, in that aspect and Tao wanted to learn more about um, the outside world so if we were to create something like artificial intelligence like what we saw in the films um, what what would once it becomes sentient and conscious enough what exactly would that AI seek out to do other than what we program it to do assuming it can transcend what it is um, that we program 
Well, but I like that point because I feel like that's the whole scene where Major's going swimming, right? And he's like, well, you basically sink to the bottom and then these things bring you back up. But, like, trying to get in touch with who you were as a person before that is something that's going to always happen. It's the reason people still buy, like, hardcover books because you can read them online. You can read them on your uh, service pro. Um, but that's just something that I think we're always going to have is that sense of nostalgia or something that used to be. Yeah, I'd say that's true. And I want to turn to another return to another point that Adrian uh, made in terms of the, like the, the storytelling, like in Tao and ghost of the machine, uh, like all the other sci-fi shell. landmark ghost in the sorry, shell sorry, ghost in the shell uh, wow machine intelligence <laughs> artificial what have you um all the other sci-fi landmarks like brave new world 1984 um name something from isaac asimov uh we're all kind of seem like premonitions of what's to come like hey guys if we don't get this under control this could happen uh even though years after their publications we kind of see ourselves living in that that world uh not but not entirely because it's less malicious uh than we anticipated or that we expected it was going to be so it's like yes some of the things might happen from 1984 like new speak double speak uh ministry of truth stuff like that um but we're also able to still hang out with friends at the ice house on a thursday for happy hour and have beer and ride bikes and hang out with our families on the weekends. So it's not all the gloom and doom that the forecasting of these archetypal stories were doing. It's so if AI takes over, like Adrian said, it's going to be a Jarvis in your pocket. You know, it's not going to be Jarvis attached to your head guiding, you know, where it is that you can look, so to speak. So it's like these, these archetypal stories are premonitions of what's to come as a kind of like, Hey guys, it could go this way if we keep going down here, but let's not do that. Cause maybe we don't have to. So, okay, so would you uh, would you give the would you give the label of warning to, to that kind of artistic vision? Uh, it's like like goes in the show. Is it is it a warning that that we have somehow heeded uh, that that puts us in a position to not be stripped of freedom while still embracing the fact that we are getting to that place te- technologically um, where we have all this information at our disposal, uh, but we're not restricted by it. We're, uh, we're still retaining that, that, that semblance of freedom, that semblance of free will, that humanity. Um, I mean, if you look at just kind of, I, I guess the flow of information is that what also leads us to being as uh, just kind of generation generationally inclusive as we are uh, tolerant of different lifestyles. Like to, to your point about like being able to go to the ice house and like hang out and have a good time with a bunch of different people. Some of those people not being able to uh, exist properly maybe 10 years ago, uh, I mean, when was gay marriage legalized? Like stuff like that. It's, 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 that kind of is, uh, it, it runs as an antithesis to, uh, I guess, what was warned against in books that kind of painted a vision of the future that was super uh, authoritarian and totalitarian and 
everything is the way it is. And we are, like you said, we, we are kind of seeing some, some versions of those things populated in our existence, but same time, I mean, marijuana is being legalized in most of the United States, uh, probably pretty soon. Uh, yeah, to, well. yeah, to answer uh, the original question in there, yeah, I would say that they sort of act as uh, this this uh, medium of literature, uh, whether it's film or or or, uh, or books or, or stories or what have you, um, yeah, kind of do act as a do act as a warning. And now it's like we're trying to find a balance between um, the sci-fi aspect of how much we might be connected to our smartphones um, or other technology. Let's say, for example, at work, uh, between what we've been through as a millennium through the millennia through the millenniums millennial uh, i don't know throughout the years the ages the eras the eons as uh, as adrian said it's like we actually can't ignore that we actually cannot ignore um all of that back history that we have as human beings it's like so you might find yourself running away with um all the technology and everything and only to find your personal relationships your human relationships suffering um so you have to kind of strike a balance or do you? All right. <laughs> All right. I think I think what I want to get into next is uh, kind of diving into what is the next thing. Um, and I don't want to talk about what is in the future in terms of artificial intelligence or anything like that. I want to talk about what's the next thing in terms of our artistic visions of what the future is going to look like. Because you go back to Ghost in the Shell, that is a hyper jump from what was to what was envisioned in the story. Uh, you even go back to like Back to the Future, that's a hyper jump, even though the timing wasn't as, uh, I guess, future, like it, it wasn't a big amount of time they were trying to jump in that story, but the technology was like insane. Like the, the, the things that they thought of as something that would exist in that year was nuts. Um, and now it kind of seems like the, the gap is getting smaller and smaller. Like we're thinking about what would be 10 years in the future as opposed to 50 or 15 and believing that we're going to make some huge jump in terms of techn technology. So what is, what's the next kind of vision that we're going to have of the future? going forward so I, I have some thoughts on kind of what you said in terms of the shortening of the time span like i i think that has a lot to do with moore's law like in terms of like the the way that computers and everything are doubling or exponentially growing in power and how computers are becoming embedded into more and more things uh, around our entire lives uh it, it just kind of that hits the accelerationist chord that I, I like to, to think about in terms of like in the 80s. Yeah, you probably would have felt pretty confident in saying like, you know what, this is something that could be happening in 2010. I don't know that anyone here in 2019 can even feel confident in what's going to be going on in 2024. You know, like the, there's so many things that can change because computing power is still jumping leaps and bounds and now computers run so much of our lives that it's kind of insane to think about where we would be just think about before smartphones how different our lives were and then really stop and think about how short in our, even our young lives that smartphones have actually been around 
Well, also, I think the if the implementation of technology like that, you, you think like, oh, it's going to do this when in reality, what it looks like is a fucking 4K smart TV that is embedded in your fridge door. Like <laughs> that's what that's what we come up with. Like that's that's the zenith of technology right now. I, I'm not saying it is, but like if you if you're if you're uh, using technology as a status symbol uh, and, and you want to show off that you are in the the internet of things know that's what you have in your house you have a fridge that like tells you when you're running out of milk not uh uh i don't know we're at like foldable foldable phone screens as opposed to like where where could we get with the technology I, i think we're more about uh making our 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 lives that are a little mundane somewhat more exciting as opposed to just changing the status quo as a whole because consumer electronics make more money for the people on top than a kick-ass r&d department i feel like i haven't heard anything from andre in a while it's probably drinking it yeah no it's definitely thinking of hi my sister um so (laughs) I mean, so I have, I have two answers to this. The first is like, where do we want? To, where do I want us to be? And obviously, Mars, like Mars, Jupiter. Mars. Wait, wait. Why is Mars and obviously? Like, explain the qualifier. Obviously, it's the next thing. Like, we've gotten to the moon. I mean, I'd love to live on the moon too, but I think Mars. Once we turn on the reactor and it creates the atmosphere, we'll be fine. And imagine, imagine the kickflips you could do on a half pipe on Mars. But also, did no one get that reference? I, I didn't. I didn't. Jesus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as far as this, that makes me really sad. As far as uh, I mean, I, I think you're spot on, Joseph. Like, it's just it's 4K TVs in your fridge on your bathroom wall when you're taking a shit. Uh, I don't think there's any drive other than from a very few select individuals or a small number of people. To really like we, we don't have anybody who's going to say we're going to put a man on the moon in eight years and then do it like we, we don't have a leader who's going to take us to what the next step is. We have a lot of corporations who are going to keep giving us things that we're like, man, that's cool. I really want to buy that. However, the Space Force was just announced in 2018. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I think it kind of alludes to the point that technology definitely exponentiates our creativity and our ability to create, but we're still, I know it sounds funny, but it exponentiates our creativity, but we're still limited to our own creativity. Like it, we can move forward as fast we can as we only come up with the, we can only come up with the things we can come up with. Like exactly. there's not a visionary in all of us. Like it takes, uh, it takes a, I guess a perfect storm of, people like Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and all of the people that built Apple up from whatever, and then designers like uh, Johnny Ive and like all of those people being in the same place at the same time to just create the iPhone, which now is like, okay, cool. But at the time, that was a huge jump. Like Adrian said, smartphones were a thing. And without that jump, it would kind of not have 
pushed the industry over that that edge where things just kind of tumbled all the way down to where we are now with um like i said foldable phone screens we're there guys this is the future yeah Yeah, that's right say to your point we have like that big bang spark was created and created a new i'll say it created a new generation of reliability and technological advances but kind of sticking with apple's point like relative to what the iphone did for the technological advancements that it brought brought about Apple really hasn't had that since then, right? They tried to do like Apple TV. They tried to oh, do their not. iWatches. Like it just shows that that spark is a, it's a partial, it's partial equation of circumstance, right? And if you're not having that perfect equation to create that big bang spark, like it's not going to give you anything that's going to change the way, change things for you the way the iPhone did. Well, at, at the same time, like you go back to you, uh, the iPhone at the, at the core of it was just, a really nice consumer electronic like that's what drives technology forward it's not the technology itself it's not technology for technology's sake or uh trying to better humanity it's just who's gonna buy this shit yeah he's gonna to go back to my spend the most money that was NASA. like nasa drove us forward they were inventing technologies it eventually got sent down to the public and we were all using computers like they they were the ones who were pioneering a lot of that stuff and we're just not doing it anymore because of the funds well i i could go back to, to joseph's point though like the big jumps in uh computing power really came after game gaming systems became consumer electronics then there was this huge race for processing horsepower uh, that got people like TI that got people like uh, Radeon to really start thinking about, okay, how do we corner this market and start pumping in tons of money to R&D because there's money to be made here. And then like that turns into, oh, now we have all these graphic processing units that can mine Bitcoin. And now we have a new currency that's global and anonymous. And like it's just unintended consequences for all these things that at the end of the day all started with, I really want a fridge that has a 4k tv in it in my bathroom (laughs) you do (laughs) though and 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 to that same to the same point uh andre with your like description of that i think your description of nasa is uh i wouldn't say um it's 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 embellished a little bit because the the idea wasn't ever that it was only to figure out all of these really hard math problems, which was how to get someone on the moon. That was obviously a race. Uh, That was obviously something that was uh, the end goal, but everyone knew stuff like that was gonna trickle down into what we see as, I guess the uh, American superpower or American exceptionalism. That was all part of the plan. It might not have been laid out the best way, but even just, Tang, like we turned something like Tang into a commercial product that was specifically developed to make sure that astronauts got vitamin C. Like if that can be, if that can be turned into something that like was something that a consumer bought, there's only limits of how well you can market the product after the fact to get technology to a certain precipice. 
I, I, I think over the years we figured out that having the government develop stuff that may be useful to everyone is a whole lot less efficient than having companies and corporations develop things that'll be useful that maybe the government can use. Like think about like the rockets that Tesla or Elon Musk develops. Uh, like the, it, we flipped that equation on its head and I think it's been a more efficient uh and as much as capitalism sucks in terms of side effects, like it, it's still the most efficient way people have figured out how to manage resources. Ham is over there looking awfully annoyed that I, I'm speaking well on capitalism. Uh, those side effects, I think, are technically known as externalities, uh, Adrian. But uh, uh, getting back to getting back to Joseph's original question uh, in terms of what we can expect to see in the future, and Joseph, you and I have had a conversation on this. Is uh, and I'm bringing it into the workplace here. Is uh, the 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 oncoming or the upcoming struggle um, that that we're going to see with uh, what do we do when we find there's an automated process that actually makes our job a lot more efficient? What are we going to do with the old uh, social uh, uh, norms, I guess, so to say, um, that were once in place. And I'll, g- I'll give you an example that, that actually disappeared this week. So we have a new um, tracking system of all the of the work that we do, a new ticketing system. I work in IT, um, and one of the, uh, one of these reports uh, to uh, productivity sort of performance reports um, used to be created by someone who was an administrative assistant. Now we can just send that out manually to an email address she actually doesn't have to do any of the work of taking this data compiling this compiling that and then packaging it up sending out an email now we can automatically set this report so she was able to like kind of put a personal touch on this report and say hey so and so i saw that you only you know closed four tickets this week and kind of like or hey good job team we did this we did that so now that we have an automated process to eliminate her doing that altogether, and this is what i was really thinking about it's like do I want to still have the human touch going forward on an email. I mean, but it's just an email. Like, do I, do I want to take that away from her, so to speak? Cause the technology sure did. Like, do I remove that from our workplace? Like, what do I do? So, uh, that, that's what I see as, Wait, as that, coming up in the future. That, that point is what drives not so much. Do I want the human touch? Do I want the appearance of the human touch? Because that can be automated too. Like no one's that unique which is crazy to think about, but just logically true. No one is going to motivate you to do a better job at an email better than statistics saying this will reach the most amount of people in a positive way phrased in these words saying this thing. I'm trying to find something to argue with that, but it, I'm, I'm struggling. So, uh, so, yeah, so like, so my, 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 my next level, uh, argument to that, that point, uh, you can take that to the extreme pretty easily and say, man, the best salespeople are really just master manipulators. If they're master manipulators, they pick up on things, maybe not uh, intentionally or uh, knowingly, but social cues, facial tics, uh, poker players. Think about anything that has to do with uh, any kind of external stimuli. All of that is just data collection and data processing. 
our brains are doing that. Just like Adrian said, we're a bunch of supercomputers walking around. But once you get to the point where there's only X amount of variables that you really have to account for, because those are the only ones that matter, it's going to be pretty easy to go on a blind date and know if someone's vibing with you based on their facial tics or the way that they respond, the lilt in their voice, uh, that you can just have your phone on the table, know if they're into you based on physiological responses to what you're telling them or to how you look and pass or go because they are in or out as opposed to, I'm going to see this out for six months, uh, and propose to this person and get my heart broken and have a kid with them. Isn't that what dating apps are like? I think you can shed light on that. Andre, you're on, on those. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, so there's, that's, that's an interesting point because everyone's obviously going towards the algorithm, right? Like that's the way to go. And there's a new one where there is, they like take the algorithm out of it and they put a person in the middle. And like there is a person that puts you with another person. And that's weird to me that like that's that's working, right? That people are using it because it's popular now. But it's you obviously have to pay for that one. So the free ones are going to use the algorithm, and then if you can pay to like have a person, so is having a person just going to be a premium service at this point? Well, well, to that point, Andre, though, I feel like that's like it's kind of getting to the the point that I wanted to make is what Joseph was saying is you can have all the variables there, and you can have essentially the formula, the answers, everything in front of you. But it takes that aspect of creating and utilizing that information to have some sort of application for it. So kind of to that point, it's yeah, you could have two people that are perfectly compatible sitting in front of each other in front of a date, but if they don't know what to do with that when it's given to them, or if they don't know how to apply or create something out of it, then it's pointless to have all the information in the world if you have no way of applying it. Well, I'm going to take it back to our computers are currently just like dumb employees. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm saying a computer is only as smart as its user. So that's, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) I'll take it back to one of the movies. So in, in ghost in the shell, uh, the, um, rookie on, on the major's team is asking like, why did you even need a guy like me? And she responds with something like, or exactly because we need, guys like you like you're almost all human like minus one like brain augmentation or something like that um and i think what she's getting at is the point of like the the human spontaneity or the the human um intuitions that maybe take into account uh, just through however many rounds of evolution i think our intuition is pretty good it takes into account all kinds of factors that we don't even know are something that is measured in our decision making. So like if uh, an algorithm is only as good as what you tell it to measure to give the output. So if there's an unaccounted for input that you don't even know is coming into the equation, but your intuitions do, uh, you're always going to be slightly worse off in terms of the results than what the, the human would be able to do. I don't know if we would ever get to a point where we could like shoot it could be something as odd as like how cloudy is it that day that the matchmaker is is figuring out who who or what to put together um and that's how they're getting better results than the algorithm but not even the matchmaker is going to know that's one of the reasons why she's better it's just an unknown unknown and something that an algorithm will never be able to reproduce 
Yeah. And I'll take it back to Jaime's uh, comment about the employment and the workforce. I think kind of, again, to that point of being able to create or being able to develop, to define or utilize, like if you have a job that's where there's no creativity, there's no ideology, there's no stimulation, then in my opinion, by definition, that will create a more routine process or a routine process or a stricter formula will be defined. And at that point, you will have a opportunity for automation. You will have an opportunity for someone uh, to be replaced. But if you can instill that sense of, hey, I'm the one that was able to figure out that cloudy weather on a Thursday when it's 40 degrees below means that these two people are going to get along better. You can apply that creativity and that application to where you instill that sense of value. And if you learn how to create, you don't have to worry about being replaced because you're always doing something new and something different. I think I do that in my job. (laughs) If you, if you don't have to like be the computer at your job, you're free to just be the creative. Yeah. You either, you either create. Yeah. That's kind of what that, I think that that's so like the the silver lining in what what Jaime's bleak version of the future is. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, like uh, the, the silver lining that kind of that, that kind of thought process isn't we're going to become irrelevant. It's we're going to become what we were meant to always be, which is getting back to just being fucking cavemen and just creating shit, like not having to worry about the next animal we have to kill to uh, feed our family to survive not even like worry about the fact that we have to keep our family together like your family can just be around uh the entire world you'll always be connected to them in some form or fashion because we're all going to have implants in our brains that like allow us to just communicate with each other when needed uh you won't ever feel insecure about the fact that you're away from your family you can go on trips by yourself uh, if it's something you want to do and be connected all the time, but be creative all the time, as opposed to man on a Wednesday evening, after I get off work, after I clean up the house, after I put the baby to bed, after I make dinner, after I, uh, take out the trash and do the laundry and cook myself, uh, meal prep for the rest of the week, I get to do a podcast. Now it's man, what am I going to do in the next podcast? Yeah, that's a good point, Joseph. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was like, and what's the next thing I'm going to do after I record this podcast? Like, it's, it's, it, it, maybe it freezes up, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's just going to show that, like, humans suck, and if we are given the opportunity to do nothing, we will, um, but maybe not. Yeah, and I'm thinking of, uh, I remember talking with Adrian some months ago about uh, when it talked about Amazon fulfillment centers like becoming retail um, stores and how Toys R Us was closing. Uh, Obviously, Circuit City closed a long time ago um, and thinking that, oh, we're losing jobs, we're losing jobs. And he's like, not, not really, because because like those are just going to turn into fulfillment centers, essentially. And I'm thinking about this, this Samsung, uh, Samsung, excuse me, Mike, that I that I picked up. I mean, I talked to you, Joseph, to get recommendations on how I should go about this. I did some online research, looked at the product myself, purchased it. Here it is. I didn't have to go into, I didn't have to take the time off of, out of uh, the day 
to go and drive to your music store, your technology store, tech, uh, electronic store, whatever, to go and ask the employee what the recommendation was. So I'm sure it was probably very knowledgeable on the subject. Um, go through the process of, of being there, going through the store, interacting with the employee, dealing with being in the store, um, going through all of that purchasing, seeing if they first of all have a purchase. Did I have to get it ordered and shipped to the store? Or am I going to ship it at home? Do they even have it in stock? Um, and then getting home after all that, and now I've got the podcast that's like, nope, I was just able to order that podcast online, uh, the, the mic online. And here we are. I didn't, I didn't have to, I didn't have to go through that. Okay. That at all. To that, to that point, there's an interesting aspect that I think is, uh, generationally, uh, very thought provoking because of how much of a line of demarcation it is. Um, everything you just described no one enjoys that interaction except people from a generation right before us. So I don't enjoy going to a retail outlet to purchase something because I already know what I want. And the person that's there doesn't want to talk to me because I've been in that retail environment before, unless it's like a one in a million kind of customer, that interaction sucks because you don't know what each of you are coming to the table with. There's not, uh, there's not a, uh, there, there's, there's no reason to be cordial or, uh, there's no reason to be anything other than very polite to each other because social norms say that you have to. The, the, the idea that there's someone that knows more than you do about the product that you, you're going in there to buy is left to artisanal shops that cost a lot of money because that's a premium service. If oh. I want that experience, you have to know that you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. And I would say, hold on, Adrian. I would say that I experience that when I go to the bookstores that I go to, when I go to the record shops that I go exactly. to, that's when I go, you go there. Yeah. When I go to the stationary stores that I go to those interactions, like I like very much, but like you said, they are kind of this artisanal um, experience where, you know, like everyone who walks in that store either got a recommendation from someone or they yeah. sought it out and they're very, mu very much so interested. It's not your average get off work and I need to go pick up. It's a bunch days. of hymas. Yeah. I've got no problem paying a 20% markup on a, on a product that I can get cheaper if I can go to someone and tell them exactly what I need and they tell me exactly what the best product for those needs are. That's something that's cool. But at the same time, if it's not something that's super important to how my day-to-day -day lifestyle is going to be affected, I'm probably better off looking at some goddamn Amazon reviews. Yeah, or just Googling. So I'm trying to start a podcast. What should I buy? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, so I appreciate I, I appreciate you coming to me, Jaime, with that, that question, because obviously I'm <laughs> such an expert in this field because I don't even watch the movies that uh, all of all of these. <laughs> now, sure. what were you going to say, Adrian? I'm sorry. No, so uh, a very late stage capitalism uh, situation that I, I recently read, read about in terms of trends and kind of talking to or speaking to everything that you guys just mentioned. So uh, a lot of retailers will now do really, really insane um, sales for product they, they want to move. Um, and then tout in the sale that uh, it's uh, free returns or something like that um, when you buy online, simply because 
they know how awkward and weird millennials are when it comes to human interactions. And when you're trying to return something, you have to pay a visit to the post office. So there's actually a study done in retail trends where millennials have at in their closet at least six items that they wanted to return. But not that they're lazy. They're just so autistic that they'd never returned them. <laughs> and, and retailers now know this and they're preying on that tendency and making sure that you buy shit you don't need, don't want, or aren't sure if it's going to fit you or look good on you, knowing that you're just going to be too damn weird and antisocial to go and return. Oh it. my god, that's ridiculous! Oh, so All right, I think that needs one, to be that needs to be because of the vaccines. And it's huge. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, I don't have that problem because I followed Marie Kondo's teachings and got rid of a bunch of stuff. So you just threw it away instead of <laughs> returning it. You do it away. You know, it's all in a pile. I haven't done it. It's terrible. Because he can't. He can't take it into the store. It didn't, it didn't, bring, you, it didn't bring him joy. Yeah. Even the gar- garbage man's too much to communicate with. <laughs> no. No. Okay. So I. I, I definitely want to. I, I want to talk about that. Uh, possibly. I don't know if it is, is a legitimate topic for next podcast, but I, I want to talk about millennials ruining industries uh as, oh, as just a cliche <laughs> uh, and, and i don't even want to i, I don't want to go any further with it i, I want to come in fresh with uh kind of everyone's take on that topic uh next week if that sounds good uh gotta come up with some media that, for that, us that, to consume all right I'll, I'll i'll look into it i think it's going to be um Possibly some written stuff. I, I don't know if I can come up with uh, some movies that, that that touch on this topic, but I feel like this is a good a good place for us uh, to kind of run the age range that that's involved in in the group. Um, all right. So getting age into your, we uh, with, the, with the exception of you, Joseph, we're all like a year apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm 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 doing the uh, median, not the mean. So we're good. <laughs> Uh, no, what I, what I was going to say is I, I, I don't think that this is going to, um, lend itself. This topic is definitely not going to lend itself to, uh, trying to map this out. So I want to get into instead, how do we map this topic to the current state of events in not so much the political landscape, but just kind of America's landscape and who are, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to stick with Ghost in the Shell just because that's the only thing that I actually have a, a decent grasp on. I, I probably am never going to see Tao. Um, <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I, I want to see, uh, based on, I mean, there's, there's pretty obvious, like, um, I guess factions that are uh, part of, uh, the Ghost in the Shell mythology and 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 lore and and world building that they've they've created there. Um, if you were to say a, uh, I don't know, the anti-vaxxers, the um, climate change deniers, the uh, political left, the political right, who's who? Who's who in this story? I, w- I want to map that instead. I think that that's I, I don't know. That's interesting. Something you can map. I don't know that they in the movie, at least, uh, and, and we're going to stick to talking about the movie, I guess um, they don't they don't build out 
those factions enough to be able to say who's who. I was going to try to make an analogy of the the closest representation I could say is all of them, regardless of what side they're on, they were the garbage truck driver. They were the, uh, the delivery guy. Um, they're all essentially just puppets in the grand scheme of a higher power. Like I, I could, you could try to make that correlation somehow, but when, yeah, I, I don't think. So, so, so is this, is this a story of, of the blue collar worker in, uh, uh, a world that's just so advanced that it sounds like they're political players like it because it definitely it, it plays out that way but in reality is this just like a top top of the news hour story that that gets reported on like if, if this were in universe is that what this would be is that what this story would be which i i think kind of lends itself to an even more interesting uh world if it is oh i was gonna is say this I, Yes, I don't know about Is that. I was going to say they were the ones getting controlled and they like after they were done being controlled, they didn't have any recollection of who they were and they weren't sure what was real and what wasn't anymore. Yeah. So it was just it, it was that concept of they were told to represent something. They were told to believe in something. They were told to feel something. But once it was all said and done and they were no longer pawns in the game, they were essentially tossed aside and viewed as irrelevant because they served their purpose and were not needed for anything greater than that. Yeah, getting back to uh, actually a few a few podcasts ago and and archetypes, uh, I remember uh, Hondo bringing up uh, as a, as an omen the next archetype uh, being Adam Warlock from from Marvel stories and that he was a, a, a artificially created being uh, became a sentient being uh, but had no soul and so went in search of that. So you kind of see that with uh, with the people who have been, I guess, uh, as Hondo was saying from from Ghost in the Shell as going through the motions, going through routine. And then when they had someone to kind of shake them and wake them up, they couldn't remember exactly why it is that they're going through the motions that they're going through. Um, so, so that, so getting back to that archetype, as a new archetype for the 21st century. That's, that's kind of how I see that happening. Hey guys. Yeah. Yes. Is someone recording my audio? Yes. Good. Cause my just crashed. Oh, I, I got I got you. Speaking of technology. Yeah. And here we are scared of AI. <laughs> <laughs> By we, I mean Hyman. <laughs> Doesn't even have a TV. It's 2019 on it. It's time to make a change. He's saving up for the 4K in the fridge. <laughs> Yo, at in, the H- in the bathroom. At, at HEB right now, 70 inch screen, 4K HD, $699. Does it come with brisket? <laughs> it's part of the combo it's logo. Part, yeah, it's the combo logo. Yeah. <laughs> you get a wrap. You also really? get three pounds of fajitas with it. <laughs> and pico de gallo. And a three liter of big red. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a sweet ass deal. Uh, <laughs> so how many netflix originals have you all seen i've like, seen quite uh, a few bird box that was a good one anyone, uh, uh, hold the dark that one sucked did anyone uh, see mute no is that the one with uh paul rudd yeah 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 yeah, no, I never. That, okay. that looked weird. Did oh, anyone, that guy's Andre's favorite. Yeah. Did anyone see Bright? Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. No, it had Will Smith in it. Yeah. No. So I, I have this. Um, so we were talking about AI, 
or or I came into these movies thinking about AI because that's what we were supposed to be talking about today. I don't know that how much AI talk we we actually had, but it, after seeing a couple of these movies, so like Tao, Mute, Bright, like what if Netflix has an AI? Like, cause, cause quite honestly, it sounds like they just took some of like the headers for like, you know, way back when they would give you like really, really like strangely specific genres. And then these movies that they thought you would like, but it sounds like they took some of those strangely specific, specific genres, threw them in the blender and came up with these movies. So it's like, Hey, you like gritty cop movies, Will Smith, Lord of the Rings and hot blonde girls. Here's Bright. Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Where's, yeah, where's so, the movie uh, for yeah, me? It's like, Actually, hey, you like... That's, wait, I got a couple more. Uh, I'm, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's not, It's documented, though. It's that's, that's, that, that is what they did. Right, so that's how House of Cards got made. Yeah, it's AI, right? So it's like, it's you like, like Blade Runner, you like Paul political... Rudd, vampires, hot blonde girls. You got mute. <laughs> you like sci-fi dystopian future, shades of gray. Some light bondage, uh, hot visuals, and hot blind girls. There's Tao. <laughs> Noticing a trend wow. between all of these. Do they have a, do they have a hot brunette that's, section? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, not enough people that's are watching hot brunette. That's legitimately how House of Cards got made because they uh, figured out how many people watch like the cross section of David Fincher films, um, Kevin Spacey movies, and hot blind and girls. political thrillers. Well, no, it, I think it was Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but yeah, pretty much. I was talking about Robin Wright. I, I yeah, Robin, that, Robin yeah. Wright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, no, yeah, that, it was kind of scary. That too, because it was her sister. That's... All right. Well, I want to throw, I, I think because of his uh, alternative idea, critically of the movie, uh, I want to give the last words to Andre, just in terms of all of the stuff that we discussed. Uh, what What is your thought, not on these movies, but on who we are as a people uh, going into the, the new landscape that is artificial intelligence? What is my thought? Guys, on, there's like... no such thing as artificial intelligence. So that's kind of where I'm starting. Like, we're not there yet, but I don't know. I, I feel like we're still, unless somebody's working on something in their basement by kidnapping young thieves from the street and trying to perfect an AI that we don't know about. Um, I feel like we're still a long way off from it. And honestly, I feel like we're going to use it to just do dumb stuff the first like 20 years. All right. I don't know. I don't think we need any much more than that. That's yeah. That sounds about right. That sounds like a, a as good of a prediction as any of us could make. Strongest battle in the world and you made a frisbee with it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Pretty much. I'm glad right, you made an AI reference there too. Thank you. Thank you. I put a lot in there. AI, Captain America, Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> well, until next time, this has been Flat Circle from Gaisa's Podcast Network. Remember, be yourself just like everyone else and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs>